Well, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness and for your kindness toward us today, Lord God. We thank you for all the good that you've done for us. Thank you for daily loading us with your benefits. And we thank you. We do not forget one of your benefits. And we thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, that he is the living word. He is the word of life. And we ask you, Father, that as we break open your word in the scriptures, Father God, that we would see Jesus, that we would recognize him and recognize you. And we just thank you, Lord God, for opening and unlocking the things that we need to see tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. So hello, um, we're going to continue uh, where we left off, where when you and I were here <laughs> the last time, where we talked about the living word and how Jesus is the living word. Amen. And so let's start in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 4. It says, <clears throat> For it is not possible, he's talking here about the about the new covenant, and it says, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So the old covenant did not work. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. But then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, by by that will that he came to do, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. Hallelujah. I love that once and for all. And so, you know, this is the book of Hebrews. And um, and the writer of Hebrews, he's laying out the, the case uh, that um, the old covenant is passed away or passing away at that time. It is now passed away. And a new and better covenant had come in with better promises. Through the offering of Jesus, we have been sanctified once and for all. And that is such good news. Um, he's actually quoting Psalm 40, um, verses 6 and 8, and he's saying that Jesus was the one that was speaking in that psalm. He was the one that was speaking in the Messianic psalm. And Jesus was saying to the Father, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I have come to do your will. So the volume of the book, all the scripture, the, the sum total of what was written in the word, we can see him. It is all about Jesus. And, and we can see him in every book of the Bible. And I was reminded of Oral Roberts' famous sermon, The Fourth Man. And um, has anybody ever heard him preach that? <laughs> I know you have, Ruby. Um, it's on YouTube, so I know he can deliver it so much better than I could do. But I, but he has it. It's all written out on your sheet. But he goes through in this one section of his sermon. He started reciting where you could see Jesus in every book of the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's a Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. And on and on and on. He just breaks it down, and it stirs up your faith. Because remember we said that 
Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So when we hear about Christ and we find him in the, in the scriptures, in the old covenant scriptures and in the new covenant scriptures, our faith is ignited and we, it comes to life on the inside of us. So I do encourage you when you get a chance, you know, just go on YouTube, look for or Robert's fourth man and there are a lot of renditions of it on there, but he's on there preaching. It will bless your life. I, I promise you. So, um, Especially at Christmas time, we celebrate that God sent his son Jesus to us. And he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And I, I, the song that we sang on Sunday, he's God with us revealed in us. And that, that every time I think about that, it just gets me because it's so powerful. He, the mystery that was hidden from the ages is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is in us. We are, I, there's a song that I um, heard recently, and he calls me holy of holies. We are now the holy of holies, the place where where the Ark of the Covenant was in the old tabernacle and the old the old uh, temple where the veil was rent, and the the Ark of the Covenant was there where the manifest presence of God was there constantly. That is now us. We are now the holy of holies. Jesus is God's word made flesh. It's made tangible and approachable to us. And we see that in um, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. And that only son um, word is, it's, it's, it's his precious son. It's his very precious son that he gave to us. And he gave him to us and we are able to behold his glory full of grace and truth. In verse 16 it says, for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who the only God who is at the Father's side, and He has made Him known. So nobody has seen God at any time except Jesus, and He's only been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. So when we looked at this scripture last time, we kind of did a deep dive into the word logos. The word um, logos is the intelligence, the interconnected network um, of all things known. And it's the sum of all logic. That's that's the word. So the logic, the intelligence of God is made flesh in the person of Jesus. And he dwelt among us. And um, in the voice translation, you all know I like the voice translation. It put a little note in here in John 1. And I just wanted to share it with you because they translated the word logos instead of saying that um, the word became flesh. It said, they said the voice became flesh. The voice of God. They translate the logos into voice and they gave this explanation. So I wanted to share that with you. And they're saying that since logos essentially refers to the act of speaking or bringing thoughts to expression, we have decided to use the word voice to capture that reality. John declares that the truth is culminated in the person of Jesus. No single word captures the complete meaning of logos, but voice has a number of advantages. So they're they're laying out the reason why they're using the word voice. First of all, voice um, manifests the act of speaking. You know, words can be written on a page, but voice, you know, is a spoken word. A voice is that which is spoken. 
and that which is heard. So it, it comes from both sides of any communication event, bridging the gap between the sender and the receiver. So the voice actually bridges the gap in, to connect that message to the person saying it to the person who's receiving it. And he said that John intends, the, the writer John intends that Jesus that in Jesus, God is speaking and revealing himself to the world. Secondly, a voice is distinct and personal. And I really like this. You, we can dis- distinguish people from one another simply by their voices. If you, if I pick up the phone, I can tell when it's Marie or when it, when it's Michelle. I can tell the difference just by the voice, even without them introducing themselves. And so John 10 describes the fact that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd when he calls and the voice of a stranger they don't follow. And so John desires for us to know Jesus as the son of God and believe in him personally as a good shepherd so that it makes it more personal. And then and thirdly, it makes it more dynamic. The word voice is more dynamic than than simply the word. A voice is dynamic in that it reflects a robust, powerful activity of a living God. So this is not just a historical message. This is a living God speaking to us. Amen. So it says that it challenges any notion that Christian faith can be reduced to, to rules, propositions, doctrines that can merely be believed or dismissed and not lived out in our lives. Since Jesus is God speaking and revealing himself to the world, and since Jesus, and since in Jesus we hear the voice of God, then this new reality changes everything, so we also must change. So the voice of God, when it's ministered to us, changes us from the inside out. And I love that it really makes it come alive as a person. It makes the Bible come alive as as the Father speaking to me. And it's not like what we were talking about, a historic letter like Ancestry.com, where you can look up old documents and figure it out. The Bible is not an old document for us to just look up facts and figures. It's, it's, it's the Father speaking to us. So Jesus is the voice of the Father. So the voice translation translated verse 18, where it says, no man has seen it, God at any time. It translated it, God, unseen until now, is revealed in the voice, God's only Son, straight from the Father's heart. That is our Jesus. He is the voice of God straight from his heart. So if we don't have the proper focus, if we don't have the proper mindset to approach when we study the word of God with this mindset that we're going to hear the voice of the Father through through the the person of Jesus, um, then we'll have the wrong understanding about the scriptures and completely miss the heart of God. Sometimes with our religious mind um, or what we've been taught in our tradition, we think that God is so holy and upset all the time or disappointed with us. And we think that the father only tolerates us because Jesus kind of got in the way and said, it's okay, dad, they're, they're with me. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like we don't understand. We're not reading it through the lens that you know, if Jesus has a love for us because the Father has a love for us, that he is the the expressed image of the Father. And so if you see Jesus being tenderhearted, then the Father is also tenderhearted towards us. And it's not like God, Jesus is always having to calm him down, like, you know, please don't do, you know, it's like I see people have such a, a distorted view about God. You know, people I've heard say, I'm cool with Jesus, but but God, uh, you know, they think of him as being this this angry 
um, deity that wants to strike lightning down on people or that needs to be appeased all the time. Like, you know, he might get ticked off at any moment and that's not, that's not who our father is. And so it's important when we study the word that we keep our focus on Jesus. Um, and we talked about this when we talked about the road to Emmaus last time. So when Jesus, you know, kind of slid in on that, on that couple that was walking home after, after the resurrection that they didn't know happened. <laughs> so they were walking home and Jesus kind of explained to them everything concerning himself. He said everything in the prophets and the old covenant was concerning himself. And he broke it down and then he said it again in um, Luke 24:44. He when he met the disciples in the upper room, he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If you don't have that as your foundation, that everything in the old covenant is written about him and must be fulfilled through him, then your minds are not going to be open to understand the scriptures. That's why I know Paul said that um, that there's for people in who are still in the own covenant, there's a veil over their face even to this day, you know, where they can't they're not able to see. And but when the veil is re- removed in Christ, then their eyes are open and they can see everything. So now this wasn't the first place the road to Emmaus wasn't the first time that Jesus said that the scriptures were all about him. So in John chapter five. This is right after Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. The Jews afterwards, you know, because he healed on the Sabbath, (laughs) bad Jesus, right? And he said um, the Jews were persecuted him because he performed the miracles on the Sabbath. And then he also said that God was his father. So they were looking to kill him. But that didn't make Jesus back down. Instead, he doubled down and he added that the scriptures were written about him. In John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have eternal life and that they will bear. And it is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he's saying that you're looking in the Bible, looking for scriptures, thinking that that studying the Bible, you're going to find life, but you're you're doing it while keeping your eyes shut to me. You're not going to be able to find life in the Word of God if you shut your eyes to the person of Jesus. And um, e- eternal, abundant life is only available through the living Word in Jesus. It's not Bible verses alone. In the Message translation, it says you have your heads in the Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life that you say that you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval, and you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. (laughs) I And I know that love, especially God's love, is not working and not in your working agenda. I came with the authority of my father, and you either dismiss me or avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would have welcomed him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking your rivals and ignoring God? But don't think that I'm going to accuse you before my father. Moses, in whom you put so much stock, is your accuser. If you believed, really believed what Moses said, you would believe in me. For he wrote of me. 
if you won't take me seriously what if you won't take seriously what he wrote how can you how can i expect you to take seriously what i said so basically he's saying moses wrote all about me and you still don't recognize me so these men these jewish men they had studied the scriptures but they didn't recognize the voice of the father but jesus i love this he said even with all that he said i will not accuse you he's there he is he's the god of all creation and his creation is acting nasty to him. And he said, I'm not going to accuse you. I'm not going to accuse you before before the father. And it's like your laws are going to accuse you, you know, because they're going to they're going to let you know what the truth is. But Jesus is always, always, always the advocate. Um, in First John 2, it says, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. He is the satisfying atonement. He is our mercy seat. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So he he is the advocate for the world. And I think of the woman caught in the met, uh, act of adultery in John 8. He acted as an advocate in the midst of accusers. Um, in John 8, verse 5, it says, Now in Moses' law, when they came to Jesus, they said, In Moses, in the law, commanded that such should be stoned. She was caught in the act of adultery. They they watched her. <laughs> they got her. And he says, um, but they said to Jesus, what do you say? And they said this to test him that they might have something to accuse him. So they were accusing her and they wanted to find a way to accuse Jesus. So the accusers were right according to the scriptures. They were acting right according to the scripture, but wrong according to the living word. They were not coming from the heart of the father. They were just coming from the letter that kills. And, of course, we know the story. Jesus said that the one without sin can cast a stone first. Go ahead, kill her. And, but the accusers were pricked in their conscience, and they all walked away. And in verse 9, when Jesus was left alone, when the woman was standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? And, he, and um, who has condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So some um, translations translate this verse, go, your sin is no more. He released her of that sin because Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So he takes that away. And he only did what he saw the Father doing. Later in that chapter, Jesus was encouraging the people who believed on him to not only believe on him because of the miracles or because of the works that he did, but also to abide in the word that he preached. So in um, verse 31, he, Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So this adulterous woman, the word that he, that he spoke to her was a no condemnation word. So we need to abide in that. He cast out accusation and he affirmed her forgiveness. And that's the word that we abide in. So we abide in, in the word that he speaks. Um, let's uh, skip down to Hebrews um, chapter 1. And um, the writer of Hebrews, I think we went over this last time, that he said that um, that 
in, in various times, in various ways in the past, the fathers spoke by the prophets. You know, he, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So, so the son is the word by which God speaks to us in our, in the new covenant. And it says in these last days, he has spoken by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become much better than angels as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they so in all of this god speaks to us through his son jesus is the brightness of god's glory he is the expressed image of his person, and he himself purges our sin and sat down in the finished work. So that's awesome to me. And we look at, um, we'll take a look at Isaiah 6 because he had an encounter with the glory of God that was very similar. And um, if you read Isaiah like the first five chapters, it was it was kind of, kind of beat up, you know, is a lot of woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, you know, is a lot of condemnation, a lot of pointing out of sin and a lot of accusation, really. And it sounds like an angry prophet. Um, but then in chapter six, he had a heavenly encounter that changes everything. So in uh, verse one, it says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up in his train. Of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each of each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he flew, and two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Remember, Jesus is the glory of God. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So here he is, he's saying, I am a man of unclean lips. Well, he had been prophesying for five chapters about woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And then it's like he realized where his error was. So he was a prophet with unclean lips with his condemning words. And we have to remember that life and death are in the power of our tongue. We have to be so careful about our words. Continuing in verse 6, it says, Then one seraphim flew to me, having his hand on a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of, from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. So he had an encounter with the glory of God that completely eradicated his sin. It took his iniquity away. It purged his sin. And then... And then the father said, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, here am I, send me. He was ready. He had had this encounter with the glory of God that purged his sin and he was ready for his purpose um, and for his calling. So we have to be careful of how we speak, how we carry God's voice. Um, are we being advocates or are we being accusers? We, we just have to recognize where our heart is. Um, in Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, 
seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Um, and salt, seasoned with salt, I looked it up, and it, the salt re- represented a covenant of friendship. So when you're when you're sharing with somebody, even if you're sharing something that's difficult to share, it should be be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And so it's it's with like what Pastor was talking about, the ministry of reconciliation. It's 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 seasoned with this friendship that your heart is toward them. You're not against anybody. You're toward them, trying to pull them in. In Israel, eating a meal with salt was always a sign of friendship. And so, like we said, Jesus is the word made flesh. And in um, again, in verse 14 of John 1, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father and the heart of the father, he declared him. Before Jesus, no man had seen God at any time, but Jesus revealed his Father's glory. So when we think of the glory of God, a lot of times we think of the encounter that Moses had where he asked to see, show me your glory. And that's found in Exodus 33. And um, this is right before, this is after he broke <laughs> the, the laws and he was about to get the new the new. Uh, transcript of the laws um, in between this time Moses had asked the Lord he said please show me your glory so he was asking to see his essence um, the glory of God is the essence of God that makes God truly God and he said please show me your glory and and God re- answered to him he said I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name the Lord And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So when God's glory was coming in, it was his goodness, it was his grace, and it was his mercy. Okay, And so the Lord said in verse 21, he said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by... I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my backside, but my face you won't see. So this is still the old covenant. So they they still had the restrictions and they weren't able to see God in his fullness. But but the father also wanted to make you know, answer Moses's request. He said, I'll let you get a little glimpse. I'll let you see a little bit. So he, so he said, I'll let my goodness pass by you and you can see my backside. And he said, I'll show you my goodness. But I, I'm looking at it and it says so many Christians are begging to have a Moses kind of encounter. Like I want to see that glory of God that Moses saw, but there's no reason for us to seek Old Testament manifestations of God's glory because we're in the new covenant. We have the we have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in us. And he said, so it's as a, that Moses was limited to only seeing God in his backside. In the um, second Chronicles five, the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the glory of God. The glory had filled the house so much that they couldn't even stand. But we, in him, we live, we move, we have our being, you know, so we have been acclimated to, to eternal life that they didn't have. And so we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the Ark of the New Covenant. And as the temple of God, we are filled with the person of Jesus, the living voice of God. And we are the bride of Christ. 
and we are the body of Christ. We are complete in him, and we can now see the glory of God no longer from behind, but in the face of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians um, 4, verse 6, it says that for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So this is the God of all creation. He said, let there be light. He has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So our face-to-face intimacy is our inheritance as New Covenant believers. We have a face-to-face encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, with that glory. And um, we see it um, in the encounter of the woman with the issue of blood. This is one of my favorite things. So in in Matthew chapter nine, the woman with the issue of God uh, uh, with the issue of blood, she had a flow of blood for twelve years, and she came from behind. Jesus was walking along the road. She came from behind and touched the hem of his garment because she said to herself, "If I may only touch his garment, I will be made well." As she had been suffering for a long time, and she said, "I just want to get a little taste. I just want a little." A little crumb from the table. I just want to grab his backside. But Jesus turned around and he saw her and he said to her, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. So Jesus turned around so she could see his face. He wanted her to see his face. He wasn't satisfied with her stealing her healing from his backside. He wanted her to see the approval in his face. Um, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. God will never turn his face away from us. And we, he will never hide his face from us. What if we knew that we were per- permanently, perpetually, eternally approved by God? Permanently, perpetually, eternally you pr- approved by God. So many of us are fickle because we don't let our soul get assured that we are both accepted and approved by God in the beloved. We feel like God is eternally frustrated and annoyed with us, right? You know, it's like we see, we get frustrated with ourselves and we assume that that's how God's looking at us. And that's so not the deal. He, he said, I will never be angry with you or rebuke you. In Isaiah 54, when he's talking about the new covenant, he said, these are like the days of Noah to me. Remember the Noah with the rainbow? And it's an eternal, everlasting covenant, and it's an unconditional covenant. We went through this a while back. But he said, I have sworn to you that I will never be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains may depart. And the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace will not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So it's an eternal, everlasting covenant of peace that we have with him. He, we're always at peace with him. When, when the angels announced him at his birth, he said, this is peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's it's good news for all the people. God the Father is never angry at you, ever. His enduring love will never depart from you. And I wanted to look again at Pastor David's favorite scripture. <laughs> so we'll look at that again because because it was really ministering to me when he was talking about this. And it kind of met, fit, 
fit in with this approval that we have with God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 19, and this is from the Amplified Translation, it says, It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring to favor with himself. He was restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but instead canceling them. And he's committed to us the message of of reconciliation and restoration of favor. So that's the gospel that we get to preach. We get to preach restoration and reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered to you and be reconciled to God. For our for our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, that in and through him we might become endued with viewed as being in an examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be approved, acceptable, and in right relationship with him by his goodness. Hallelujah. So we have been made approved, acceptable, and what we ought to be. We, you know, how many times that we that we think to ourselves, where I'm not where I should be in my walk with God. You know, I ought to be. I should have learned this already by now. I, I'm not where I ought to be. I feel so unsettled. I feel just not. It's not fitting, you know. And but according to the scriptures, you are approved, acceptable, and where you ought to be in Him. He, because he's taking care of everything. And if we have favor with him, you have the divine favor of God, then that means you're his favorite. You are God's favorite. And it's his good pleasure to please you because he loves you. Jesus is the Father's smile toward you. In number six, there we find the high priestly blessing. And, um, This is the blessing that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you should say to them. So every time that they got together, this was the blessing that they were to confer on the people of God. And and the blessing was, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. So God told his ministers to continually assure the people that his face was smiling at him and with the with peace and approval. In the short prayer, he mentions this twice. My face is looking at you smiling. My face is looking at you smiling. And it says, how would we live if we had that as our meditation? We'll look at this in the message translation, and it says, God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God, look you full in the face and make you prosper. Amen. And in the Amplified Translation, it says that the Lord bless you, watch, guard, and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and enlighten you and be gracious, kind, merciful, giving favor to you. The Lord lift his approving countenance upon you and give you peace, tranquility of heart, and life continually. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. So, Father, we receive that blessing today. We receive the smile and the shine of your face on us, Lord God. We thank you that as we behold you, we are transformed from glory to glory, from goodness to goodness, from your essence to more of your essence. We thank you that we receive you from your fullness, grace upon grace. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you continue to minister this to our heart. We thank you that you bring scripture to our remembrance that would edify and add to what you have begun and what you've sown in us, Lord God. And we just trust you that you will bring forth the fruit that remains. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. See you on Sunday.